Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today on An Actor Despairs, we have someone that is so special to me, my childhood best friend, Denzel Whitaker. You know Denzel from too many TV shows to mention, and films like The Great Debaters and Marvel's smash box office hit, Black Panther. Denzel got in this business so young, in fact, his first movie was Training Day. He's a director, a writer, a filmmaker, a photographer, a voiceover actor, he's a multitude of talents, and I only know he's just getting started. Here's our conversation. What an intro. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning, man. Tell me about yourself. Where'd you grow up? I know this, but they don't know. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so I just got to pretend like I'm talking. Yeah. Not you're to talking you. to the audience. You're not talking to Ryan. Cool. 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 Hey, audience. How you guys doing out there? Um, so I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California, you know, from two very humble parents, uh, very blue collar parents. Nobody in my family is in the business of acting not a single person. So for me, it's very interesting uh, to even want to jump into acting. You know, my, my dad, he's a mechanical engineer for an HVAC company, and he always wanted me to kind of, you know, follow in his footsteps, maybe be an architect, uh, comic book, uh, you know, designer, cartoon creator, whatever it may be. Nobody really ever pictured acting. Um, but my parents were fully supportive, and I got this rare opportunity when I was young. Uh, an agent had called me and basically said, hey, do you, do you want to try this out? And I didn't know anything about the agent. Uh, they just said a family member had recommended me. So I said, sure, why not? You know, I went into the casting session. I met with the agency, and it's hard to really describe, but it's uh, – a feeling that I got yeah. necessarily. It, it was a feeling. And I told my mom and my dad and I said, hey, I really like this. And, you know, my mom was pretty hard on me. She said, well, you got to love it because we're not going to do something if you just like it. You know, in that regards, thankfully, they're very supportive. Anything that I wanted to do, whether it's sports, uh, robots, electronics, computers, whatever it may be, they were always supportive, but they want you to love it. And I told my mom, yeah, I love it, you know. What what do I know at the age of 10? I just wanted to be on Nickelodeon. So <laughs> um, we went full force into it. And, you know, my parents uh, forwarded some money for me and we end up losing said money. And now here I am. <laughs> and so let's talk from the beginning there. What what were the first steps for you? Did you start doing classes? So, yeah, it was a. I'm not even going to bring up their name, but it was basically just a company. uh that had, you know, uh, propositioned me. Yeah. And many actors have seen these said companies. Some people who come into L.A. and they're wide-eyed and yeah. bushy-tailed and they, they see stars and yeah. names and, and they want it. So this company was like, well, you got to pay for these headshots and you got to pay for these classes and we can provide these services and these are our management fees and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as I learned later in the business, you never pay for representation. Right. And I've seen a lot of actors fall into this trap because mm -hmm. they want to be told, we value you. We love you. We'll develop you. But hey, you got to write us a check first. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, we we fell into that hole. We, we wrote the check first. A lot of actors fall into that. And that's one thing that I got to say that depresses me most about this business is there's an entire circle of people that literally capitalize on people's hope and are willing to write have people write checks for things that don't happen. So let's say that right here. Would you say if someone approaches you, Denzel, and they tell you where they want to rep you, but they tell you what classes to take, what photographer to shoot with, and you got to write them a check, what do you do? You run. Good. Nah, never uh, pay for representation to anybody out there. Please don't pay for representation. If they're truly your rep, if they're your manager, your, they're your agent, they're not supposed to get a check until you get your check. Now, with that being said, uh, I do want to point out that, yeah, sure, you're going to have to pay for some headshots. Yeah, you're going to have to pay for some classes. Trust me. And if you have a photographer buddy, um, you know, go to that photographer friend if you really trust them. Try out some headshots. There's no reason you can't uh, use the resources around you, 
but understand it's just like anything else. You want to, you want to, you want the part, you got to look the part, you got to dress the part, you got to walk the part, you got to talk the part. It's the same thing as getting into the business. If you want to feel like something, well, you got to step up every single level. You got to look professional for to be even be taken serious as a professional. I completely agree. And I think it's one of those things where you don't need to go to the $1,000 photographer on your first headshot. Do not let people sell you on that. And that's the thing. Going back, there are people that are capitalizing on your dream. Do not let them. So going away from that kind of unfortunate event, then what was the next step? You started doing extra work, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... (laughs) It's funny, you know, my whole life story. I feel like I'm just talking to a friend again. Yeah. Yeah. But for the sake of the audience, uh, my first role was training day. And how was that being? Did you, I mean, I I know obviously when a film's in production, nobody has an idea how it's going to be received. But did, being so young, did you have an idea of the gravity of that? No, I'm 10. Yeah. What, What do I know? I, who, Denzel Whitaker, uh, acting with Denzel Washington meant nothing to me at the time that I was 10. Everybody was like, oh man, you're going to be acting with Big Denzel and, you know, this this movie. And what do I know? I, I'm happy there's Oreos on set. Yeah. You know, I'm just showing up and, and it's all new to me. There's lights and there's trucks and we're filming in Nickerson Garden, which is Watson. My parents are telling me, like, this is a dangerous area. I'm more worried about getting shot than I am shooting. <laughs> That sounds about still true to this day for you. It's still right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I'm always put in situations where I could be shot, but I'm shooting. So, so in, in that scene, you got Ethan Hawke, you got Denzel Washington, you got Macy Gray. Tell me about your experience. How did you show up? Did you have an idea of what was going on in the script? Or not at all. Not at all. Not at all. It was a long day. I don't even know if they were on time. Uh, I just remember sitting in the trailer with... Uh, what was it? I think my dad had taken me that morning and then my mom had picked me up and she had taken over. And, you know, we, we sit in the trailer and then they say, oh, we're going to move to set. And I move to set and I meet Denzel and Denzel instantly pulls out these two silver guns out of a out of a briefcase. And he starts clicking them and he's like, oh, yeah. So your name is Denzel. What the hell do I know again? Yeah, yeah my name is Denzel. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know. And and next thing, the director tells me to go wait in the room. And, you know, he says, come out when, you know, Denzel calls for you. And so that was uh, not only my first role, but that was supposed to be a background role. Little did I know you can't say anything because I don't know the rules of acting. I'm just getting into it. Yeah. So Denzel uh, walks in and he calls me and I say, like, yeah. I don't even know what I said, but they were very small words. Yeah. And that was just enough for me to get my first uh, credit as an actor is because I said something when I wasn't supposed to say anything, but it made the scene more natural. And nobody came in and told me and no. Checked you on that. No, 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 no. Nobody yeah. checked me on it. Next thing you know, they had me sit down on the couch. Macy Gray's doing her lines. Ethan Hawke's looking at me. Everybody's like, wow, you know, he's, he's, he's great. He's a natural. Well, me, I was just being polite. I didn't want to step on anybody. So I don't know what I'm doing there. I had no clue what I was doing. I was just, that's terrifying. Not even so much terrifying, more just kind of like, okay. Yeah. You sit on a couch, you do what you're told. You, uh, don't be a nuisance on set. You don't, speak out of turn. These are things that my parents kind of instilled within me at a young age where, you know, you show up around adults, don't act like a jackass. Yeah, 100%. That's all I was doing was not acting like a jackass. And there you go. That was my first role. And I imagine your parents didn't let you see that movie when it came out. <laughs> Believe it or not, we uh, we got invited to a premiere screening of the film. No way. I don't think we actually went to the uh, real premiere. Yeah. We went to probably like the cast and crew screening, yeah. which now thinking back on it. And I remember watching the movie thing like, damn. <laughs> it's fucking dark. <laughs> I remember watching this like, really? Yeah. And I thought it was a great movie when I was young and I remember it being great. But as I got older and I kept watching again, I was like, oh, shit, I was I was a part of something huge. You were part of history. Yeah. You don't know. I could be wrong on this and I don't have a computer in front of me to fact check it. But I think that was the first time an African-American won an Oscar in like X amount of years or maybe ever. I don't know about maybe ever, because uh, I know Denzel won for supporting, 
in glory. I think. Yeah, he yeah. won for supporting. Yeah. Uh, Sidney Poitier, I don't know if he had won before. I, I know he was nominated. Yeah. yeah. So, so I know it was quite some time because I actually remember being in Washington, D.C., at that hotel where all the presidents have their hookers and escorts, <laughs> watching the Academy Awards as my dad was there from a medical convention, and my dad, who is Latin and looks Latin, as you know, Denzel, mm-hmm. yep. turned to me and said, son, I don't think you understand what a big moment this is. And, and even though I may be half Mexican, I look as white as white can be. And I really... Uh, Tr- I, I, trust him, all the <laughs> listeners out there. He looks white. Don't and, let him uh, fool you. And I... I uh, I remember just the way my dad described it to me. I could just see in his eyes the the, the monument. And then I remember watching his speech. And it's weird. I, you know, you start to get older. You start losing those childhood memories. But for whatever one, that's one that stuck around. I actually remember your character's name was Dimitri. Yeah. It's that right. famous scene where uh, Denzel serves the warrant. And it turns out the warrant is a Chinese food menu. <laughs> All right. But... That's awesome. So then let's talk about how you went from that to all that. Or were you doing episodics before you got there? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, after training day, uh, I did about two years of background work. You know, my mom basically made me make her a promise where it was if I could sustain doing two years of extra work, um, then she would go full force into it. Oh, she and, was making you pay your dues to yeah, see she how was, much you wanted it. She was making me pay my dues, but in, in hindsight, I probably think it was it was – you know, uh, working both ways. I think she was making me pay my dues, but at the same time, she was still figuring out the business for herself. Yeah. And so she would, you know, be on set with the different set moms, learning the ins and outs, learning how to get me an agent. So it kind of went hand in hand, you know. I had to pay my dues. She had to figure out how to sort of manage my career at a very young age yeah. with no sort of guidance, nobody in the family, once again, knowing what to do. So it was all new for the both of us. Uh, I did the background work, a couple commercials here and there. Most notably, I had two Aflac commercials that did really well back to back. I remember those uh, were very good paychecks that I did not expect when I was a kid. Um, let's see. I did a TV show. Um, I believe. Uh, let me let me try to remember because I did some voiceover at the time, too. I was doing like just ADR fill ins and then. Ant Bully was another one of those where it was like an ADR fill-in, and then I got like a leading role credit. So that became – that was almost the same sort of situation as Training Day where it really was one of those like great place, right time, yeah. everything lined up, and now all of a sudden, boom, your foot's in the door. And that happened to me on commercials. That happened to me on voiceovers. That was really uh, – and, and you know later I look at this, that was really the universe and God kind of being like, yo, you're meant to be here. We're going to give you these little layups, but – are you worthy? Are you going to work hard for it? So that was that was my first taste into the business. I got all that when I was 14. And how old are you were 10 when you did training day? I was 10 so when was I about did training day. two years of extra work, then a few episodic commercials, yeah, yeah. and so, then all that. So about a four-year span, and that was me you know, working on my craft, going to these different events, meeting other uh, famous kids, whatever you want to call it. You yeah. know what I mean? I was in the circle. I was in the Disney Nickelodeon circle, going to auditions. Leaving school midday, uh, it, it was one of those things. Like, my life was completely different. I didn't live a normal life. At that age, were you doing improv classes? or Absolutely. You, and that helped you, you think, with sketch comedy? You know, because that's a big deal for a kid. All that's kind of the, you know, adolescent SNL, if you will. No, definitely. I, it, you know what? Uh, looking back on it, it's one of those weird things where as a child, you think you're an adult and you look back on it like, how the hell did I manage to do that as a child? Yeah. But my mom had me in classes all the time. She had me in this class and teaching with Cynthia Bain and Andrew McGarrion and going in the middle of the week. And then you got your auditions and you got to finish your homework. And then on weekends, you're going to go take this class. And we did a whole bunch of improv classes. And to be honest, my life was kind of on autopilot. Like I was on a schedule before I even knew it. It's even funny to to sit here and think about it because, you know, a lot of that definitely was my mom putting me in the right direction in the right places and and making sure I had every tool necessary to survive. So, you know, for any parent who has their kid involved in the business, like if you have the time, if you have the resources, you're doing your kid a disservice by not putting them in everything. And likewise to the kid, like 
listen to your parents. Sure, your parents are having you run around here and there. There were times where, you know, I wanted to hang out with my friends or maybe I had a question like, Mom, well, why are my weekends different? Or, But then you also got to remember why you're doing it in the first place, you know, like. And was, when you look back now, thinking on all that, do you, was that a happy time for you? Oh, it's a great. What do you? Yeah. Dog, I was in. That was all that I booked all that right when I was starting high school, maybe midway through my ninth, uh, ninth grade year, my freshman year. And um, it was exciting because, again, I had already been acting by that time. Yeah. So I was kind of used to it. And I was in the mix like middle school. I was still doing projects here and there. All that was really the big kicker where it was you can't go backwards. All that was, oh, now you're starting to become a name. And that's when the Kids' Choice Awards were still like massive. Right? Man. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy because Kids' Choice Awards, that's the first time I met Will Smith. I remember performing Rapper's Delight just randomly just because... You, uh, know, you had that confidence, that young confidence. I didn't it, have that. <laughs> it was... I don't know. Well, by the time you get on all that, yeah, I put four years into the game. Yeah. And believe me, the, the confidence didn't... I don't know where the confidence came from because I was a very shy kid. Yeah. And, you know, usually I tell that at the beginning of this whole experience, but I was shy. I was the kid who would hide behind my mom. So acting was the outlet for me. Um, I, I felt comfortable. And I don't know why I felt so comfortable. I don't know why this was my expression. You know, you hear different stories about like Jim Carrey, how he uh, used to lock himself in the room and perform characters. Well, me, I grew up with siblings, but I was also by myself in my room playing with my toys. That was my imagination. That was my great escape. That, you know, we'll get to that a little bit later when we talk about my company, Blackmouth. But that was my escape. Like, my escapism was in my head. And I guess when I came time to finally portray a character, that was, that was, that was, I don't know where it came from. It's it's an outer body experience, yeah. but I just knew I loved it and I was good at it. And I don't know where that confidence came from. And it used to scare me shitless. Believe me, I was scared shitless when I stepped on the stage at, at Kids' Choice Awards and performed Rapper's Delight. But it was almost like a propulsion of my body. Just go, go do it. And you also had the support of alumni like Kenan Thompson and Kel. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and these are guys that I look up to. These are guys who made me laugh yeah. as a child. And I could only imagine like watching them on all that and the Keenan Kell show and Good Burger or yeah, Good watching, Burger. watching any of them, Amanda Bynes just used to crack me up. Yeah. So I'm in good company, but it's weird because, you know, uh, one, one of my good friends, one of my best friends, uh, you know, he, he used to say like, I don't know, you just, you, you felt like you had already been there before. Yeah. And I don't know why that feeling is. I really don't know where that came from. And and maybe it's a good thing that I don't know where that came from because it's kind of the thing that's still driving me today. Well, I remember there was a, a big paradigm shift at that time in Nickelodeon, which where they ultimately decided to cancel all that, and this mm-hmm. one they started going to the to the Drake and Josh type Dan Schneider shows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they reinvented their play. You had the show. It was a it was a positive experience. It ends abruptly. So then you do you do episodics for a couple of years, right? You had ER, I think you did. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, ooh, was ER before or after all that? I'm not sure. I I did War at Home, which one of the cast members, uh, Kyle Sullivan, he was on War at Home, so that was kind of like a small reunion for the both of us. Um, who is it? Uh, Michael Rap was it Michael Rappaport? Michael Rappaport. Yeah, yeah. Michael Rappaport was on that. Uh, Dean Collins, all very good people. Like. Ward Home was like another family for me. Um, i trying to remember what else did I do. I did do some more episodic, some more commercials. I had a Coca-Cola campaign, which was running like crazy, running like gangbusters. They I played bet you th- made more money on that than you did on Man, all that. <laughs> listen, they played that in movie theaters. Yeah. They played, they ran that for years. Oh. I got contract extensions on that. That was, a, listen, people, don't be afraid to do your commercials. Yeah. Like even. There's no shame. Even still to this day. Uh, yes, I am partly an accomplished actor. There's plenty more that I want to accomplish, but still this day I'm going out for commercial auditions because commercial auditions are bread and butter. There is a lot of money in ad campaigns. There's a large world in the commercial world. Uh, some, some notable directors still go back to commercials just to not only pay their bills, but (laughs) yeah, just fun, fun, their, uh, fun, their next projects. Like, the advertisement space, you got to remember why 
we're creating this content in the first place. A TV show doesn't exist if there's no ad to sell. Like, all of these companies are trying to sell stuff. And in between that, oh, let's throw on a, a TV show to grab your attention until the next item we could sell. So then you turn 15. Yep. And I think, if I'm remembering this correctly, you heard that they were casting The Great Debaters, right? So I was, I was 16, um, and my mom had, my mom had, and this is once again at the time where things are going very well, voiceovers are popping and whatnot. At and, that time, did you have an agent that could get you in front for those kind of projects? Or? Uh, I did have an agent. I was working with a, a more of a boutique agency, yeah. and they didn't necessarily know about the project, but I guess they had been scouring for this project for a while, and my mom had found out because my mom you know, sometimes reads the trades and she knows uh, the breakdowns that are happening. Yeah. And she hounded my agent and she somehow got the script and my mom went full force and she was like, no, my baby's getting an audition. Manager mode. It's yeah, incredible. manager mode. It was inc- My mom uh, definitely was the propulsion of my career and Great Debaters. Great Debaters is one of those auditions. There's very, f- there's a few times where I've had to audition multiple times and yeah. I believe uh, don't quote me on this. I either had five or seven auditions for the Great Debaters alone. And that very first one, let's talk about that. Was that with Denzel? No, 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 no. Oh. The first one was, um, first one, if I remember correctly, was with Denise Chamian. Okay. And that was me just going in for her. And I worked with a. Uh, she was uh, the casting director on the film? Yes, yes. Okay. She was the casting director at the time. And I worked with this uh, coach of mine. You know, uh, God bless her soul. She unfortunately passed away, but she was one of the best coaches I had had uh, who could pick me apart and build me back together. And she just she just knew uh, she just knew how to sort of dig into me and, and find my center and find my core. And. That was one of the things I was really working on as I was transitioning out of all that. Yeah. You know, I'm so used to doing these big sketches and I'm over the top. Yeah, it's very theatrical. It's very theatrical. So I needed somebody to rein me in and sort of pull the performance and and really understand it. That was, I believe, my first evolution uh, stepping into uh, more of a cinema approach. Yeah, it's a different medium and learning to navigate that because of different rules. Way different rules. Um, and thankfully, once again, I can attribute a lot to my improvisational skills because, you know, we had some scenes that we would do in class that were darker and, and more thematic. And, and, you know, for some reason, again, I was able to pull that tone down. Yeah. I really don't know. Looking back on this, I'm shocked what I was able to do as a kid. And then that <laughs> that first audition got you a callback? That first audition got me a callback. And at the callback, that's where I went to Sony Lot. And I was auditioning in the Fred Astaire building, and that's when I went to go sit down in front of Denzel. And did and he remember you? Okay, so you know I'm I'm nervous, yeah, because I'm sitting out in the waiting room, and you know I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is okay. This is this is a callback, man. This is okay. Well, okay all right, well we're doing callbacks now, yeah. And I didn't. Did I know Denzel was in the room? I'm not too sure. I imagine that's something they probably would not want to tell you to psych no, you out. Yeah. I don't think so, but all I remember is I'm walking in and he says, Put your hands up. And and it's so funny. We he he basically snapped in and reenacted uh, the training day the training scene. Day scene. <laughs> so you and I put you. my hands yeah. up. I thought like, oh <laughs> you know? I'm getting high. <laughs> yeah. And 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 he comes in and we don't really catch up on anything, but yeah. he just, you know, asked did I have any questions about the material and how was I and what I've been up to. And next thing you know, I'm auditioning in front of Denzel. And I remember one of the more challenging scenes for me through the entire process of the audition was there were two scenes. There was a scene where uh, after we had just, I know my audition scenes were I come home late and uh, Forrest Whitaker's character. Yeah, he's upset with right? me. Yep. Kimberly Ulyss, another incredible actor. Hope to have her on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good friend of yeah. ours, mutual yeah. friend. Yeah. Um, that was one of the scenes that I did for the audition. Another scene I did for the audition was when uh, we had just witnessed the lynching. And then we go to the bed and breakfast and um, and I have the conversation with Nate. Uh, Lowe comes home drunk. And I said, you know, well, what were you doing out? We're all worried about you. And then he... 
he has that confrontation with me about what we just saw and you can't unsee that. That was another scene that I had my audition. And then the final scene was uh, my final speech against Harvard. Oh, that speech is incredible. Thank you. Uh, that scene, to be honest, that... I still remember seeing that at the premiere and getting goosebumps. Because I knew you and we were friends, but I never, I never seen that kind of performance out of you. And that movie, it's just like... I hate to say this, living in 2019, they don't make movies like that anymore. No, 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 no. They don't. And it's a, it's a hard movie to make. Uh, I want to get into that separately because it's a very hard movie to make. But even with that final performance scene, that was always troublesome for me. And Denzel, even through the auditioning process, kept coaching me and kept coaching me. And he was like, just bring it down and just tell a real story. And he helped me to tap into something. Uh, he helped me to tap into something from my past that had happened. Uh, with a student that I went to school with in middle school. And uh, and once I tapped into that, he's seen it before I seen it. He's did, seen... Did that moment involve like an incident of racism? Or yeah, it did involve a moment of racism. And, and he, had, he had seen the spark within me before I had seen it. Before I even knew what I was capable about. Before I even knew what I was tapping into. Because like, don't get me wrong. I've, I've been acting classes and, you know, I've been trained, but... Whatever people call us classically trained or whatnot, I don't know any sort of methods. Right. I only know how to tap into uh, what what I consider is Relating acting, to the scene. which is just being yeah. present. Yeah. Which is just being present. Which totally. is what are your stakes? This is your character. You, how would you be in this situation? So that was always interesting to me, and I look back and I'm so thankful that he was able to see that in me. And I remember when. Uh, it was like one of our last auditions that me and Nate had uh, where he comes home drunk. You know, he pinned me on the on the couch and, and, and I remember like he had busted my lip. I remember just start crying in the audition and and and, uh, and it was so real and it was so organic. And I remember I couldn't stop crying. That's the thing about me is there was there was so much emotion I was dealing with as a child that as soon as I started crying, I can't stop it. Yeah. And. I remember Denzel sitting us down after that moment and saying, you two guys are going to be my leading men. And I remember it was it was not only it went from sadness to overjoyed and I just couldn't stop the tears. And I kept that Coke can in my Infinity G35 for several months. That thing probably spoiled because it was just sitting out in the sun. But that Coke can that he gave me to put on my busted lip afterwards, that kind of meant everything to me because that to me was my transition. And now, you know, you're not 10 years old anymore and you're working with Denzel Washington for a second time. Did did you have a better idea now of what you were getting into and the scale and the caliber of working with someone like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even then, you know, I look, you you know me very well. I tend to I tend you're a very to, chill guy. I tend yeah. to underplay things because I don't want to get too excited about them, but that was definitely one of those. It's like Oh, you're working with Denzel Watch. You're working with Forrest Whitaker. And a period piece, nonetheless. And a period piece. Yeah. And I remember the first day we stepped on set, you know. You guys shot in Shreveport, right? Or, Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of Marshall, Texas. We actually shot at Harvard, uh, Boston. Um, but it was one of those things where I remember the first day I stepped on set, and it was just as simple as a look. It was the scene where I'm putting on the uh, cologne and the aftershave and I'm telling my dad, like, you know, the debate team. Exactly. Exactly. And, and he says, good luck today, son. I, I remember doing the scene a couple of times and Denzel came over to me and he was just like, less is more and less is more. Those are the words that stuck with me throughout the entire production. And still to this day, I apply it to all of my scenes. Uh, everything that I do as an actor, less is more. It, he couldn't have gave me any more pivotal words at that moment. And that, to me, really, uh, those are one of those moments to me that excelled my experience as an actor. And working on The Great Debaters was like going to extreme boot camp. Yeah, I'm that, sure. And, and once again, like, I remember the script supervisor, sweet lady, uh, she had pulled me to the side and she was just like, you know, Denzel's smiling behind the monitor. He says, you're a natural. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this, I couldn't have had a better acting experience if I tried. Like, yeah. being on set for any actor will make you a better actor. Putting yourself around other Synchrotron. trained actors, you have to. Yeah. That, to me, 
was the moment where I think I was able to break free and become a cinema actor, uh, transitioning from from being the uh, slapstick comedy actor. And I never looked back, to be honest. Like, if I were to do all that today, I don't know if I could because I'm no longer that same person. I completely transformed yeah. out of a comedy actor into a theatrical actor simply off the strength of great debaters alone. You won an NAACP award for that performance. I did. Best supporting <laughs> I actor. Award. I can't. I mean, it all seems unreal. Yeah, I mean that was one of I think the best films of that year, and it just goes to show you that the award circuit—it's it, total bullshit because that film was better than any film that won that year. But there's so many politics that go into that. Man, there's there's a lot of politics, and and especially because like you know if we're speaking on behalf of a film like that, um, a. It's a period piece. It's a piece about black oppression. It came out during Christmas. And it's a true story. And it's a true story. And it went up against films like The Water Horse, which was, I think it was The Water Horse, something like that. It was like a kid-friendly animated film. You know, we we got blown out of the water simply because, like, oppression is a hard pill to swallow on Christmas Day. Yeah. You know? Uh, It's hard. It's... I like to say what the great debaters did, and I'm not just solely taking credit for this, and I don't want to take credit for this, but after the great debaters came out, you know, you had films such as Precious. Yeah. Uh, you Which had, was the same producers, correct? I don't know if it was the I, same I, producers. I, Oprah, I think, produced uh, debaters as well as Precious. I yeah, yeah, okay, other, yeah. Yeah. Well, then, yeah. yeah. Um, you had films like Precious, uh, you know, other, other uh, what, what would be another one fences green book um what would be another good black film shit get, 12, get out to a degree but it's very get different. out to a degree yeah. but but more like 12 years of slave you have basically films that are able to tell the plight of the black narrative now but great debaters sort of like kind of cracked open that door during award season and no we didn't get our just due and and that's just fine you know that award season in and of itself it's a we were talking about this today at lunch. I mean, it is what it is. It's politics. You can buy your way to an award. You can appease whatever uh, foundation you would like. At the end of the day, it matters if people see it. People still to this day tell me that we show it in our history classes and they'll invite me to different... When we go uh, out, I feel like you get recognized for that more than Black Panther some of the time. Some, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes like they'll invite us to come out and speak to their debate students. Like that. That's what matters with the film. Yeah. And I just got to say, man, like, you know, Nate Parker, what an incredible performance and journey. Oh, my God. Like, the the chemistry you guys had, you know, it was just brilliant. It was electric. Journey, Nate, uh, even got to give it up to Jermaine, you know. Glenn Powell, right? He's in that final Powell, that's that's crazy, yeah. Glenn is definitely doing his thing right now. It's, you know, we all had a beautiful seed planted within the foundation of great debaters. I still owe a vast majority of the reason why I'm a director today to Denzel Washington, because he's seen that spark within me that I did not see in myself. And he's the one who really ushered me in with my first camera, you know, uh, encouraged me to go to film school, had me sitting on the editing sessions, took my chair and put it right next to his and told me, bring a composition book every single day and write notes like, Denzel was a mentor and a father figure to all of us, and really, so you would say he's a probably one of your first artistic fathers. Absolutely, thousand percent, thousand percent. And then you go on, you know, the press tour for that. All of that happens, right? Yep. And that movie's incredible. But then you're back to auditioning, right? That's that's the name of the game, man. Uh, I forgot what movie I was working on. I might have been working on a Disney movie. And I remember this grip. Oh, yeah, that's right. In Utah. I remember you yeah, telling yeah, me yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This grip had basically told me, he's like, you're a piece of meat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Every person in this industry is a piece of meat. Everybody loves a nice, juicy steak. But once they start chewing into it, you start getting into the fat parts yeah. and, and the parts that you don't like of the steak. And you chew it and maybe you just take it out the side of your mouth and spit it out until you're done. And then we're all waiting for the next juicy pizza steak. So get it while you're hot. Well, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up because this podcast is on nothing but positive intentions. But you did something really interesting. You did something that a lot of people – it's tough for a lot of people to do. After debaters, you lost a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And was that where, – where did that inspiration come from? Because you – I mean we don't have to get into numbers but a lot. You became the skinny guy. 
Yeah. And yeah. so what was that something that you wanted to change your look? You wanted to be healthier? Like uh you know it's interesting because like all right, if we if we rewind the clock real real far back, back when I was in Karsten before we moved to this area called Palos Verdes, you know, I used to be on the block with a, with my friends and and we would run and and we would be athletic all the time like I was a skinny kid and then all of a sudden we moved to Palos Verdes and yeah, I uh got involved with computers and electronics and hated sports and sat down and ate a whole bunch of waffles and got real fat. So as a kid, I grew up just obese, but I always, always said to myself, like every summer I'm going to work out and, yeah. and I know I'm going to come back to school and one day I'm going to be ripped and I can do all the things I want. And every summer I'd always envision myself getting skinnier and skinnier. And around the time of debaters was when I started changing my eating habits. Uh, and right after debaters, I came back and and our whole family kind of did this uh, collective gym program where, you know, we got a personal trainer and started getting our health together. And and that's when my eating habits started changing. And that's where I started enjoying more salmon and broccoli and asparagus and and cutting out all the fat food that I didn't even know was harmful to me. Like my mom didn't know that stuff was harmful to me. None of us knew the detriment of what was happening. Right. But I just remember going on auditions all the time and I had to be the fat kid who was carrying the candy bars who always had to be eating and he gets picked on or he's the best friend of blah, blah, blah. And I secretly didn't like that. I yeah, didn't like it at all. tired of that breakdown. Yeah. It's, I don't, it's an insulting intentionally and unintentionally. You've seen it coming and there's only so many roles a black man can get in this game to start with. And then on top of that, I'm fat. So there's only an X amount of roles I can get being fat and black. Yeah. And I'm likable. So, yeah, I'm going to be the fat kid who gets picked on, and I didn't want that to happen. And then you did it. You lost the weight, man. What would you say for anyone out there struggling with that? How How did you do it? If you don't like your current situation, change it. But it's not something that happens overnight. You know? No, 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 no. It's not something that happens overnight. Uh, My whole... You know, everything that happened in my life happened for a reason, and I'm thankful for it. And, and a lot of times, it's it's you thinking your direction is one way, and God kind of saying, no, 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 I'm going to take you in this direction. And for me, the transition to becoming skinny hit when puberty was happening, hit when I finally got my health and fitness together, hit when, like I said, I started trading in salmon instead of waffles. And next thing you know, like, I don't even desire the sweets that I used to desire when I was a kid. Like, my entire regimen is is mainly just meat, vegetables. Maybe I'll have, like, sugar through smoothie. Every now and again, yeah, I'll enjoy myself with some sugars, but I really don't consume like I used to. Like, my whole entire appetite has changed for the better. But that was something that I had to do for myself. Nobody can make me do that. And thankfully, once again, my parents were like, do you want to do this? Yes. Then we're going to get it done. Amazing. That's wonderful parents. Yeah. Dale and Yolanda. Shout out to Dale and Yolanda. <laughs> Shout out to Dale and Yolanda. Okay, so then you're you're towards the end of high school, and then you book a movie with one of the great horror legends, Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. How was that experience? Actually, I'm trying to think. Did did Wes Craven come before Warrior, or Warrior came became for Wes Craven? Both of those films shot for a long time. Yeah, and 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 both were sat on for a minute too, if I'm correct. Right. Both were sat on for a minute. Um. Around that time, it was like, around that time, thankfully, I had uh, Warrior, I had uh, that's Gavin My Soul O'Connor, to Take. Right? Yeah, that's Gavin O'Connor. Yeah. Um, I had My Soul to Take, Wes Craven, I had um, Bad Lieutenant, which Nicholas was Werner Herzog and Nicholas Cage. Yeah, so. Three of the biggest cinematic, I mean, you don't get bigger than that. How no. is that going through film to film to film like that? I had a great agent, um, and I was just on a uphill swing, and it was kind of like the land of milk and honey is showing you the opportunities. And once again, I'm climbing the ride. I I look back on that time, and you can only really know how blessed that time was until you don't have it. Hindsight yeah, is twenty twenty. Is totally so. You know, here I am being like, okay, I just came off a high film. Let me go do this. I just came off this. Let me go do this. Yeah, and your life and it was happening to you. Let me remind you again. Nobody in my family knows the business. So we don't know that I should be walking into X amount of rooms or blah, blah, blah. I'm just taking it as it comes. Right. 
And all that was great and fine. But then all of a sudden I hit this patch where I then was no longer a boy, but no longer like no longer a boy, but not yet a man. Yeah. And what do you do then? There was kind of a slump after like I had some really good years in between 2007 to 2011 and then it sort of dried up. Um, and, and what did you do to, to stay sane in that period? What do you do to stay sane? Well, you're an artist, number one. Number two, you yourself is a business. Like every day I get up and I get dressed, I'm a business. So for me, it was like, well, how do I keep my business going? I'm still auditioning for commercials. I'm still auditioning for voiceovers. I'm still auditioning for everything under the sun. Well, you know what? Guess what? Denzel got me started with uh, with, with directing. And, you know, Ryan, dude, we happened. We did some music videos together. We did some music videos together. Next thing you know, I'm trying my hand to like spec commercials, and and this and is when to, you start. Let's let, let let's go ahead and get it out there now. You start your brand. Yeah, yeah, I started yeah. my brand. 20, 2013 is when I started my company, Blackmouth Entertainment. What's the website for that? Blackmouth.com. Just B L A C K M O U F. Uh, twenty two thousand eleven was when I directed my first short film, Operation CTF. Um. And then 2013 is when I directed Criminal, and that's where I wanted to make sure I really had something of my own to brand myself. And Blackmouth, uh, the name it used to be Gamer Tag of Mine. It was an email that was just sort of a that was just sort of my humble beginnings. That was what people identified me as. But that's also relating back to the time of once again me being in my room alone, creating and 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 having that imaginative space. So you know they say uh, storytelling is the most common word of mouth well black mouth is the stories from me black mouth is the embodiment of me those are my stories that's my imagination it's it's a uh, youth and imagination uh immortality through youth and imagination that's kind of what i stand for and that at the core is who i've always been um so 20 2013 i started my company and that was even interesting because i got into fashion photography you know i'm trying a couple things out different yeah. looks I'm i'm trying to figure out what is my voice as a director. I'm taking odd jobs and putting in sweat equity and I'm still putting in sweat equity this day, proving myself as a director. So it's almost like my career started all over again. And the, but I, I want to say you did something really noble and I, I see a lot of, of not just young actors, but actors kind of fall into the spit holes because you have your good years as an actor and you have your bad years, but you did something most actors don't do is you took things into your own hand and you started creating paths for yourself and work for yourself. And that kept you busy. And I'm sure that kept you, most importantly, sane during that time because you had things to do. Yeah, 1,000%. Um, if I had just sat around and been an actor, I don't know. I'd, I'd definitely, I might have quit. Yeah. I might have quit at this point. Um, but there's just, there's this energizer battery within me. And I don't know. I just knew that I love film. And at the time, my father wanted me to go to school and go to college. And, you know, Denzel persuaded me to go to college. And he had even gotten me like a nice recommendation. And I went and tried it out. And to be honest, I was still working at the time. I was working on films. Yeah. So I dropped out of college. Gavin O'Connor and Werner Herzog said, you want to be a director. You're already on set. You're already asking us the right questions. You're ahead of the game. That's your knowledge. So pick up a camera and start filming. And that's exactly what I did. And... I became so fascinated. And, oh, mind you, during that slump, too, I mean, I was in animation class when I was in high school, and I happened to meet uh, Carl Jones uh, from the Boondocks the night that I won my award at the NAACP Award for Great Debaters. And I kept in touch with Carl. Next thing you know, Carl had me come down, come do a voice or two on Boondocks. And he was like, well, you know what? We're moving in this project called Freaknik. Do you want an assistant voice direct on it? And I would get up every single morning at 8, 9 o'clock, and I'd be there at the studio. I wasn't even getting paid for it at the time. And eventually, I did get paid. But like, I was just there every single morning at 8, 9 o'clock wanting to learn. And I was working with different stars like Rick Ross and Lil Wayne and David Banner and and uh, Atheon Crockett and a slew of other people who... Yeah. I had admired at the time who were just black and funny and gifted and, and, you know, we're getting in the mix of it. And that then turned into black dynamite and I ended up working two seasons on black dynamite as an assistant editor, an assistant editor, an illustrative artist. And, uh, and also to help them do some merch. And I did some poster designs. Uh, and I even did some voice work on there as well. Yeah. So these were just different things that 
while I was searching for my next job, I was taking odd jobs and and I look back on it like that time was meant to happen. A, because I had to put my ego in check. B, because I had to grow up and become my own man. C, because I had more things to learn. And thankfully, you know, I wasn't a knucklehead about it. Like I could have blown my money and thankfully, you know, my parents didn't let me. I had money I didn't even know that I had. And if I would have known, maybe I would have blown it on some stupid shit. Yeah. And I would have nothing to show for it. But I kept working my ass off. And now, thankfully, I could sit here and say, like, I was able to purchase my first home. Like, you know, I was able to purchase the cars that I own and, and I don't owe anybody. And, and I was able to keep my career going and keep my life sustained based on the work that I was doing as a child. But in that slump, I, I kept like, OK, what's the next move? Um and sure, I, I say I had to get my ego in check because there was a lot of wasted time, but there was a lot of good time. Well, and then you had some good projects in between. I mean, some yeah. didn't become hugely successful, but you had Abduction with Taylor Lautner. Abduction with Taylor Lautner was... submerged with uh, Tallulah Riley. Absolutely. And then absolutely. you had Back to School Mom with some of our closest friends, Garcelle, <laughs> Rick Fox. Yep, Harry Lennox. Lennox. Yep. I was there for that one. What incredible experience. So, yeah, no, no... Uh, it didn't dry it, completely. It, no, no, no. Yeah, it, yeah, it didn't dry yeah, completely. Yeah. And even Blue Bloods. I had Blue Bloods Blue as well, Bloods, where yeah, I had a two-episode yeah. two, uh, arc on that. So, no, it didn't dry completely. I don't I don't want to, uh, 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 you know, missell the whole idea. All I had to say was is that you're on this up and up, and you got to learn how to keep swaying that pendulum. Right. You got to take the opportunities that are given to you and make sure you're smart about them. Like, if you... I remember sometimes when I was younger being invited to certain things and I said, no, I don't want to because all right, maybe I thought my directing career, you know, I, I had all this passion and and I didn't know what to do with it. And I was like, instead of going to the rooms and marketing the way I should have, I said, no, I'm going to stay in. And I'm going to be a film nerd and, and I'm going to geek out and I'm going to just go hang with my friends because I worked hard enough. Nah, you're never off the clock. Every single day you keep going. If there's an opportunity, if there's a room to walk in, if there's somewhere to be, like, you never know where your next check is going to come from or who the next person you're going to meet or what hand you're going to shake. So get out in the world because as soon as you start to become a recluse, people forget about you. And that's what happened. Like, that's the only reason why I say those were dark years for me is because people genuinely started to forget about me and know the projects that I was doing weren't all successes, but they didn't necessarily keep me on the map. Right. So how do you stay on the map? You know, you look at like the rock and Kevin Hart right now and even Mark Wahlberg, uh, Will Smith, people are doing a fantastic job with their career, but they're staying on your radar is because they're finding ways to generate their own fame. Which wasn't that way for The Rock and Kevin Hart for a long time in particular. They no. were a lot of, of duds there. I mean, I think The Rock even changed up his whole team because of it. That Tooth Fairy film, I think, was like his absolutely. rock bottom, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. But you got to look at, like, at what age did that come to The Rock? At what age did that come to Kevin Hart? Like, they're getting that, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, whatever it may be. I had all this gifted to me in my teens. Yeah. If I maybe had the life experience that they had, maybe I wouldn't have been, you know, naive with what I was given. But once again, I don't take that away because those were the lessons that I had to learn yeah. to make sure that the next time when I get it, like I'm I'm approaching 30 pretty much in two years. Like I'm turning- You're also uh, 2011's uh, Sexiest Man Alive in People magazine. That's very hilarious. Yes, I am. <laughs> That's, yeah, I am. Uh <laughs> That, <laughs> which is uh, hilarious because you didn't even know it was coming. <laughs> no, me? Yeah, I'm surprised you don't have that framed in this room. Thank you to my PR team. No, I have the yeah. magazine. I oh, should, you do. Yeah, I yeah. should put it up. But okay, well then, yeah. uh, just kind of moving a little bit along down to the most recent one, Black Panther comes along. Yeah, how did that happen? Black Panther is another one of those like blessings you don't foresee coming. It it was. An audition. It would, was it Ryan that sought you out or your agents knew the role was right for you? And it, I still don't know. You still don't know. I still don't know. Black Panther was two pages of dialogue. I remember that day, too, because I was supposed to take one of my homegirls to, to a hockey game. Yeah. And I remember I was excited just to take her out because, you know, that's a good friend of mine. And, you know, we have a great time. But next thing you know, I got this audition. And I remember she wanted to go out for it. And I said, they, they, they told you what project it was for? I 
kind of knew. My yeah. team, my team was able to find Untitled out the information. Marvel project. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My my team yeah. was able to find out the information. I'm like, yo, I gotta, I got an audition for Black Panther tomorrow. Like, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, no, seriously, go do that. Yeah. There will be another time. You need to go do that. And I called up my coach, and I went to my coach's house, and you know we worked on the two the two pages, and I I even slept over my coach's house, and then I got up, and I remember going to the audition. I said, you know what, I'm just I'm gonna go in and do it, and they had me do my uh, my two scenes over at Sarah Finn, yeah. And afterwards, she said, you know that was great. Is there any words that you would like to say to our director Ryan Coogler? Um, you know, he's going to be watching all the tapes. And at the time, like I remember seeing Fruitville Station and, you know, of course, with me getting my career together, I'm thinking to myself, like, yeah, there's a couple words I want to say to Ryan Coogler. Like, even if I don't get to meet the guy, like he's an inspiration to me. Like he's trailblazing for what a young African-American director can and will do. So I just really poured out my heart and I can't tell you exactly what I said, but I remember the feeling of getting goosebumps and it was like another outer body experience where it just mouth vomited out. And I said everything I needed to say to Ryan Coogler just in case I didn't get another chance to meet him. And I left the room and that was maybe in like September, October. And I didn't hear anything back. I didn't hear anything. Weeks? Are we talking months? No, 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 no. I didn't hear anything back. Like, I get a call maybe, I don't know, maybe like a week after or before Christmas or something like that. So we're talking two months later, three months later. Yeah. I get a I get a call and my agent says, hey, you remember um, you remember auditioning for Black Panther? And I said, yeah. He was like, well, do you want to go to January? Uh, I mean, do you want to go to Atlanta in January? And do you want to go film a Marvel film? And I said, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. I want to go film Marvel. He's like, I know, we we didn't tell you because we didn't want you to get your hopes up, but you booked Black Panther. No way. There yeah. wasn't even a callback. There you wasn't were- even a callback. It wow. was it was a one call. Um, they, I guess, had been tracking me. And I don't know if those tapes specifically that Ryan had watched them. I don't know if I was requested. It's very rare because I you don't really have those chances where you sit and make a personal message to the director. Yeah. I've never had an audition where they've done that. No, no, yeah, no, no. Yeah, so yeah. I, I still don't know. Maybe next time I see Coogler, I'll, I'll have to ask him. But that, to me, was another one of those blessings. Next thing you know, I'm in Atlanta. And, and, and doing Black Panther was unlike any film that I've done. Like, And you have a massive scene with Sterling. Great Debaters, Abduction, and Black Panther were probably three of the most uh, memorable film experiences I've had. And also Back to School Mom uh, for a whole nother reason. But everything that happened around the film, not even necessarily filming the film, but the experience of the film. Black Panther was one of those where scale was so large. I mean, I remember my mom asking me before I went out there, uh, do you think you could ever direct a film like this? And I said, Mom, no, it's it's so much. And then I remember getting there and, and watching just how much was the wardrobe and this big warehouse that we that we were in where they could fit like 12 cars in this fabricated forest with like green screens all around and it was mind-blowing to me but what was so incredible was watching how uh humble and meticulous ryan coogler was and how much he trusted the team around him and and how was the safety and security of the team that was built that fortified him and made him a stronger director a visionary and i came back and i thought to myself like the money and the scale and all that are just simply resources. But at the end of the day, it's still at its core telling a story, telling a story. And that's all he cared about. He didn't care about anything else because at the end of the day, Marvel, uh, the Marvel franchise, like the Marvel empire itself, they hire directors who are dramatic directors. They don't necessarily hire directors who are like action directors. Right. They say they could teach you the action. They want you to understand how to tell at the core of the story. Yeah. And that was an incredible experience for me because still it was two pages. Like I get to Atlanta and, and you know, you got to sign in on a computer to a database to get your sides. I never yeah, even seen impossible style. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't see the full script. I didn't even know what the film was about until I went to the premiere. Wow. And what's that like? Is I imagine, you know, it's Marvel. You got an ironclad NDA and outside of your parents, you have to sit on the information that you're about to be in the biggest movie of the next year. 
A, I didn't know it was going to be the biggest movie. Well, so. you knew it was going to be a Marvel movie. I knew it was going to yeah, be a yeah, Marvel yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, but you don't know. Yeah, that's you, you true. Really, no, you really they're, don't they're, know. Especially, I won't name the other brand, but there's been a lot of misses in the comic world. Yeah, and- there's some. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I was so scared to tell anybody because, again, I only had two pages. Yeah. And I knew I was doing a scene with Sterling, but I knew Sterling had other scenes to film. I didn't know he was filming another scene in the same room got it you know what i mean so i'm thinking these two pages out of whatever your script may be you could imagine your script is maybe like 120 pages like something like that i could get cut yeah of course so especially now that that we can talk about the film you're you're in the earlier part of the mm -hmm. the black panther world so it's not it's not the chadwick timeline no 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 no. and i knew i was supposed to be younger forest so i didn't know if they wanted to hold on to that secret you know what i mean like there what from what i could infer i didn't know what i didn't know so i couldn't even go around and tell it to anybody because even if i told them information and i sit there at the premiere and my two scenes get cut or i'm misguiding people then i look like a jackass either way all the time yeah so I didn't want to be that guy. And you go to the premiere alone, right? I went to the premiere alone, and I happened to see, like, friends of mine, Black Hollywood is small as shit. So I see friends of mine there, and we end up sitting together and whatnot. And I remember watching the entire thing. I remember watching my opening scene thinking, like, oh, yeah, we we shot more. But they only really showed you, like, a page worth in the opening scene. And mind you, for two pages, right, we spent how many days was it? We spent, like, two days filming two pages. Yeah. Two days filming two pages. Now, for actors who already know, that's ridiculous. For actors who don't know, think about it this way. Usually on a day's worth of work, you might get five to six pages. If you guys are on a low-budget indie and you got to cram them in, who knows? You might be ambitious and, and kill seven and nine pages in a day. We spent two days for two pages. Wow. And so, so then, so this is something that I'll I'll just be honest, and it's on a white privilege level. It's like it's something I I don't think a lot of white people understand is that you know we grew up and we've always had heroes that look like us, right? I imagine even you as eight or nine, you were watching what Spider Mans and things like that, and you have Tobey Maguire who's great, but he's a white guy. You didn't have representation was you had what Blade, and he's kind of an anti hero. He's mm-hmm. not so. That movie, you know, for a lot of young kids, that it's the first time they saw people that looked like them and represented them on on that kind of scale. It's, well, okay, I'm a comic book nerd, so I was aware of Black Panther, but even then, like, his significance became Mount Everest after the film, not only to myself, but to the entire community, because I had a Black Panther action figure, and I remember I had to go dust that thing off. When I knew I got the film, because, you know, it falls wayside like Black Panther, unfortunately, like had his time in the 70s and the 80s. So by the time you get to the 90s, early 2000s, like the entire franchise doesn't necessarily resonate the way it should. And no, we don't have that representation like we're seeing every other, you know, white superhero. Uh, <laughs> Brandon Ruth, Henry and I, Cavill, you know. Look, the, the the pie chart is large for white superheroes to be in a white, uh, to be in it's large for any white uh, actor to be in a superhero movie, just to put it bluntly. So, yes, the representation of Black Panther. It's funny because Ryan Coogler, when they first had him come in and they were interviewing young, talented black directors, him and Nate Moore sat down uh, with Kevin Feige. Uh, is that how you say that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's Feige. Yeah, Feige. Yeah. yeah. They sat down and um, basically... They were telling him about the the story and whatnot, and like, yeah, Coogler, you know, we want you to put your own spin on it. And Coogler looked at them and he said, "Well, you know, most of the cast gonna be black, right?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what we want. That's what we want." So, Amazing. so to me, I remember seeing the film at the premiere, and I legitimately cried because one of my buddies turned around and he said, "Yo, you're a part of that." And I couldn't believe it because I was seeing representation that I had never seen before on the yeah. screen. And it and it sent chills all throughout my body because I, as a young black man, had been hoping 
for a film where I didn't have to be a slave, where I didn't have to be a, a, a drug dealer or a gangbanger, where I was simply just black with privilege and, 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 and royalty, and I could hold my head up high, and I could see themes of like man and woman working together, and even if they were on the battlefield, there was genuine love, and yeah. and these themes that we haven't really seen since like maybe 90s black films and even then we still got the plight of the ghetto yeah and they were all so, stereotypes you know and- yeah it was it was crazy to me and and to me like hearing about young little boys and girls saying they could be kings and queens and coming out of the theater saying you know i want to be a, a royal uh, princess and what that to me meant everything uh I don't know, man. It was it was such an unreal experience, and I'm glad Black Panther could be put on the forefront. And you know, I went and collected my comics before I knew the movie came out because I knew I knew it was going to be something, but I really didn't know how big it was going to be. But I did know it was going to be something. And once I had seen Black Panther and Civil War, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, we gonna have something on our hands. Yeah, and not for nothing. I remember like one of my OGs after he seen the movie for the first time. He said. Bro, I remember reading the comic books as a kid. I remember just watching, like, you know, Soul Train, and he's seen it all. You know, he's been through the 70s, 80s, whatnot. He was like, that honestly is the black film I've been waiting for my entire life. I can only imagine. And so that movie comes out, and it's the biggest movie of the year. How how did that feel to just be a part of something so monumental? So, I mean, it, 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 I, we're still going through it. It's probably going to be nominated for Academy Award. It's January right now. They're not out. But I imagine it could very well be a Best Picture nom, especially now that it's up to 10. It's a blessing, man. I, I, I get on my knees every single night and I just pray to God. Like, I'm thankful um, that I even got the opportunity to be in a film like that. I'm uh, I'm overwhelmed. But I'm also uh, I'm I'm very happy that people can now see me as an adult. That was that was a, a I, I would say a man almost. You yeah, know? as as a man, yeah. that was that was a resurgence in my career where I kind of stepped up and put my foot forward, and people were like, "Oh yeah." So now when I get recognized, it's no longer the ten pole great debaters. It really is the Black Panther. What do they say, Wakanda? Yeah, oh, people, people love to do the Wakanda when I'm yeah. out. You know what I mean? It's always funny, too, going They'd to be like, Chipotle with you and all these motherfuckers looking at you just so wide-eyed trying to figure out where they're trying to from. figure out, yeah. <laughs> or or they'll they'll pull their bottom lip and they'll be like, you're the traitor, you yeah, know? You and I went to a comic store the other day and you were asking, you wanted some Black Panther, and I was just kind of fucking with the guy and i was like yeah have you seen the movie he was like yeah i was like what do you think yeah yeah i was like oh you ever had anyone from the movies come in he was like oh, oh i know when no, i had Patton oswald come in i know what no, you were I getting did. at i know what you were getting and at. he was a white guy so that's oh, yeah. his fault oh no, no no he he had no clue we were definitely in his comic shop just yeah, yeah. but but uh you know now people can see me as a man and, and everybody's like wow you've grown and you changed and where you've been and it's the best work is yet to come dog know? like what do you mean that was that was 20, 20 2007 and, and 2018 yeah what you act like i ain't been doing nothing oh, I know. but that's that's the whole thing when they say like oh you're an overnight success now nah, you're not you've been You've been building the years. yo like yeah. I've been 18 years in this game like you said about to go on two decades and it's no I'm not an overnight success yeah but it seems like it to you guys now that I'm back on your radar and that's what I'm getting at is you got to stay on the radar stay fresh really great advice well uh now that we're coming to an end I got a few questions that I just want to fire through yeah speak What's what's uh, what's inspiring you? What are you watching? What's on your radar right now? Who's impressing you? What actors? What shows? I'm gonna keep it real with you. I'm I'm so, I'm always so busy creating that I don't really keep up with anything. Um, I'm such like a Spielberg, Tarantino, even uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah, I've seen Ready Player One. Yeah, I've seen Red- yeah, you liked it. It's very Spielberg. Okay, I loved it for the nostalgia factor. I understand why it doesn't translate to a bigger audience, but. It, it's the Spielberg film that I want, and even then, it's it's a lot of Spielberg. And right now, for those actors that are, whether they're just starting out or they're, they're a decade in their career and they're frustrated, what advice do you have for those artists out there that just, 
they don't have that first credit. They don't have that first agent. They, they're they out there. They're fighting the fight, but they don't know what to do because like you and me, they don't have parents that were actors and they don't know the business. What would you say? Look, man. A, uh, you got to fact check yourself. You got to say, what situation am I in? Can I make this work? B, anything and everything done through the grace of God can happen if you put in the time and if you are serious about it. But you can't have you can't say I want to be an actor and then just sit around flipping through your TV, think you're doing all your research by watching movies. No, you got to get out. You got a cold call. You got to make sure your headshots are up to date. You know what I mean? Like you got to put in your due diligence and even then take control of your own career. There's so many actors who you see like you could look at Judd Apatow's entire camp and every single actor within that camp. Every single one had to make a name for themselves and they started writing their own content and people didn't know what to necessarily do with them. So they showed the world what they can do with them. Donald Glover is another shining example for every single African-American out there. Like he is leading and trailblaze trailblazing the path for us being like. They didn't know what to do with me, so I'm showing you what to do with me. You can't just sit around and wait for the opportunity. You have to sometimes create your opportunity, and you're always throwing darts at a board. You're not always going to hit bullseye, but when you do, boy, is it sweet, and you celebrate, and guess what? You better make sure you knew what throw and how you were forming your arm because you want to hit that bullseye once again. So you just got to keep going. Persistence and key. Like This isn't a race. It's not a sprint. It's an endurance battle. It's literally a ba- it's literally an uphill battle that you'll be fighting your entire life, and that's why you could still see people like Meryl Streep or Morgan Freeman or some of our uh, Clint Eastwood, for example, some of our older, more talented thespians still doing it, still thugging yeah. it out. Like there's always range for somebody, but you got to last the storm. That's you have to. Incredible. I really appreciate that. Well, uh, final question here, D. What's next for you? Next for me, I got uh, Cutthroat City coming out. That's a film that I did with RZA, uh, Wesley Snipes, Terrence Howard, Aza Gonzalez, Demetrius Ship, uh, Shamik Moore, Kean Johnson. Um, the the cast is stacked. That's that's a film about uh, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina about four young men who who are just trying to get it and survive. Uh, then I got another film. Uh, it's a working title right now. I believe it's called Follow Me. Okay. And that was an indie thriller that I shot with uh, Keegan Allen, um, Holland oh, Roden. Um, who else? Will Wernick is is directing that. Very talented up-and-coming director. I'm excited about that project. Uh, I'm putting together my third or fourth short now. I'm in development for that. And that uh, short will likely lead to a feature? Absolutely. That Amazing. short will like uh, lead to a feature. There's another feature that I'm writing right now. And then everything else is is through the grace of God and Blackmouth. So, you know, like... Yeah, where can people stay in contact with you? What's the best way? Always on Instagram. Instagram is the one platform that I use the most. I don't really, you know... And get, what's uh, your Instagram handle for the people? It, it's at Blackmouth. At Blackmouth. B-L-A-C-K-M-O-U-F. I don't really get fussy with Twitter or Facebook. That's not really my dig. Um, past that, you can always check out the website. And it's anything from merch, anything from like stuff I'm directing behind the scenes, whatever I may end up in, whatever new publication, you'll find it on Instagram. That's how you can hit me up. You know, shoot me an email. Let's work. Awesome. That's blackmouth.com. Make sure you go and get one of the hats. Well, Denzel Whitaker, man, I love you. You've been a brother to me and a mentor to me in a lot of ways. And I'm really grateful for your time, man. Thanks for coming on and thanks for telling these people how they can do it too. Absolutely. Let's rock out. Much love. My man. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.